My name is Cluid. It's Cluid Probert. I'm the leader of the London Hub, which is one of the largest HubSpot user communities worldwide. And we are really pleased to have uh, two great speakers here today, Christian Kinnear from HubSpot EMEA in Dublin and Brian Halligan. Hopefully everybody knows who Brian Halligan is, HubSpot CEO. So without further ado, I'm going to hand over to those two gentlemen and they can kick the whole thing off. Over to you guys. Thank you very much indeed, Cluid, um, and thank you all everybody for attending and joining us today. Uh, I'm certainly thrilled to be here. Brian, would you like to introduce yourself too? Hi, uh, I'm thrilled to be here too, Brian Halligan. Nice to see you all. <laughs> so I, we've got a, a packed list of things to talk through today. We have a load of different topics. Um, so Brian, I'm going to kick over and back between us today. Um, probably the biggest elephant in the room is the situation that's going on in the world and outside, in the world of business and in private lives too. So maybe we'll, we'll start with that, Brian, if that's okay with you and uh, we'll discuss that in a little bit of detail. So if, I guess folks are probably curious, firstly, maybe talk to how HubSpot is dealing with the current situation as a business, what, what's happening. Yeah, sure. First of all, just appreciate everyone joining, certainly tough times. Um, at least on our side, I'm talking to a lot of HubSpot employees and employees that run the gamut. Um, they've got single employees who haven't really had any physical contact for a couple months now and they're terribly lonely. And then we have, uh, you know, single parents with three kids at home uh, trying to homeschool their kids and work at the same time. So on every end of the spectrum, it just seems to be tough and uh, boy, it's a grind. So I appreciate you all joining. Um, in terms of how we're thinking about it at HubSpot, Darmesh and I started the company 14 years ago, and when we started it, the phrase we use is we wanted to build a company that our, our grandkids would be proud of. And, uh, and in order to do that, I don't think you just build a company that's big or that's profitable. You need to build a company that's a good partner to you know, its community, to its employees, to its partners, to its customers, to its shareholders, that to all its stakeholders. And we talk about that we don't just want to be red-blooded capitalists, we really want to be compassionate capitalists. And now's a good time not just to talk the talk, but to walk the walk. So we're trying to act with empathy and compassion these days across all our stakeholders. So that's kind of roughly how we're thinking about it. Great. And one of the things that, um, I've heard you speak of that many times about um, building a company that the grandkids be proud of. And one of those elements is a company people would love to work in and be happy working in. Um, and HubSpot's been recognized from time to time for being a great place to work. So I'd love to hear maybe in the business leaders too of how you're thinking about employees during this time. Yeah. Um, we have about, we have a lot of employees, thousands of employees now and they're spread across a few offices and remotely. I guess the first thing we did, and you probably all did the exact same thing, is said, you just start working from home um, and try to get yourself into a new normal. It does feel like folks have done that. It took a while to get into kind of a new normal. People are kind of coming in and out of that normal probably. I guess the things that are a little more unique that we've done are with my exact team, we've done a weekly we call them an AMA, ask me anything where we hop on a Zoom and anyone in the company can hop on and ask us whatever they want from, you know, what room are you working in, can we see it, to, uh, you know, what's our future strategy. Uh, and that's been, I think, helpful. Um, 
you know, our culture team's done some cool stuff for our employees. Like we've done a bunch of programming for them. We've done program a lot of programming for kids. So, you know, every afternoon at three o'clock, for example, there'll be some programming with a clown, let's say, for kids from three to six, and then for kids from six to twelve, there'll be other programming. That's been well received. And we're trying to inspire the employees. So we've had a lot of uh, we call them hub talks, guest speakers come in and talk about interesting things. And we've had some really heady, like Harvard Business School professors, but we also had um, the Tiger King, you know, <laughs> a wide variety of, of different people come and talk to the employees, and that's been relatively well received. Um, so we're doing our best. Uh, I feel like our employees are showing a lot of resilience and doing really well. At times, I feel like over the last couple of weeks, I've been a little bit frustrated, but um, overall, I think it's gone relatively well. Great. Yeah, and, and being on the, the receiving end to a certain degree of what you're describing, I think the idea of sharing, 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 being transparent, communicating, and maybe even over communicating or over sharing has been really helpful. And that's from the ground up, folks really appreciated that the share and the transparency has been really good. And Christian, do the Europeans have the Tiger King? Is that something going on over there? We do. We do. We're not quite sure. We can't really get our heads around it, but it, yes, it, it does exist. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's we're mesmerized by it. Truly. Yeah. You can't get your head around it because it's ridiculous. Yeah, I think that might be it. Yeah. Thank you, my Verizon. So one of the things in uh, we've, uh, to your point, been speaking with employees, getting their feedback, taking a pulse of how they feel. Um, one of the pieces of feedback we got from employees was that there was. Um, they might be more likely to consider working remotely in the future uh, based on the experience they're, they're going through at the moment. How do you think about remote? Do you think folks generally will embrace remote more in the future? Of course, yeah. <clears throat> I think this is, a, this is a really interesting test for it. Um, for folks like myself and yourself, I used to work from home a day a week. Now I'm working from home obviously five days a week. It's worked incredibly well. <laughs> I gotta say, I really like it personally. Um, and I like it for a lot of reasons. Like, I really don't like my daily commute. It's the worst, that's a half hour each way. It's the worst hour of my day. It's the most irritating part of my day. It eats up a bunch of time. It uses up a bunch of carbon. I really don't like that commute. I like the idea of remote because my existing remote employees feel a lot less remote when all of us are remote. It opens a talent pool up. Like we're hiring thousands of people. We're hiring a lot of people in Yorktown, Dublin, and my town, Cambridge, Mass. And uh, you know, at some point, there's only so many humans uh, in those markets. So uh, this enables us to start hiring people in other locations, uh, really opening up the uh, the office pool. And over the long haul, you know, one of our biggest expense items is uh, its office space is incredibly expensive. We're in some of the most expensive cities in the world, San Francisco. Cambridge, Mass, and, uh, and <laughs> Dublin, and Singapore, and Tokyo. Like, holy crap, are they expensive? So it lowers your cost. So I'm a big supporter. The interesting thing about this is this test of remote is it's not a perfect test, and so I don't want to overread into it. Uh, if it were a perfect test, it would be an optional work from home thing. But the reality is that single person who's maybe lonely and been alone for the last two months. Maybe that person's been super productive and more productive than they've ever been. And that person who's the single mom with three kids, they're probably the least productive they've been in their entire career. So it's not a great test, uh, but I 
can't I can't imagine a world where folks aren't doing a lot more remote work down the road, including HubSpot. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah, yeah and to your point, I think what's been interesting, um, what I've seen is the individuals themselves. Obviously, this has been an experience for them. I think the managers, directors, business leaders as well, uh, who maybe in the past had some reservation about could this work? Could we could we pivot towards a remote business that we could run remotely? I think have found that actually you can by and large, to your point, not a true perfect test, but I think it's given um, managers and leaders of business a, a bit of a data point that this probably is something they could lean into uh, to run their business this way a little more as well. So yeah, really interesting stuff. And maybe let's pivot a little outside of uh, the employee sphere, Brian, if that's okay, and talk a little about how we're helping customers at this time. Yeah, uh, pretty quickly we wanted to run a series of plays that would help our customers, particularly customers with cash flow problems. Um, you know, the first thing we did was we made our free product better. We added a bunch of the collaboration software uh, that was in our paid versions, like meetings and you know, the ability to do quotes and e-signatures and one-to-one -one video creation tools. A lot of that was in our paid tiers. We moved that down to free. Um, so if maybe you're paying for the software, you can't afford it. You can download it to the free and have a lot of fun excuse me, functionality. Um, one thing we did that seemed subtle but uh, seemed to work is we had marketing email send limits to prevent people from abusing our system. We opened that up so people could readily keep in touch with their customers. The thing that surprised us um, the most uh, in, in terms of the impact is we lowered the price of our our starter growth suite. So if I think of HubSpot, we have a free tier, a starter, a pro, and an enterprise. Starters for a smaller business, a startup, and and we made that for all of our products, the marketing, sales, and service. If you bought them together, you could buy for fifty dollars a month, and that was a giant discount over what we were uh, offering. Lots of people downgraded to it. And seem to be enjoying that, and lots of new new customers have come in and started buying that. So that seems that's been an interesting experiment for us. We thought it would get good uptick; it's got larger uptick than we uh, than we thought. Um, the other thing we've started to do that I like a lot, that we should talk about, is we have you know we have seventy eight thousand customers. Uh, we're able to anonymize like traffic data across all our customers, lead data, deal creation, deal close, like we're a CRM platform that so many of these companies run their business on, and see the aggregate impact on you know, how, how our customers are doing writ large. And I think it's pretty interesting. I think we should chat about that a little bit. Yep. This is the benchmark data, right? The ones we've been hearing yeah. about. There's a couple, and maybe, and you might know more about some of the European details than I do, but so if, we, if you look across deals created across all of our customers across the globe, um, from kind of steady state in the middle of February before, you know, COVID started hitting at least the Western world in a big way to the first week of March, it's about a 30% drop off in deals created. So that massive dip in the economic activity of, let's say, the HubSpot sphere, those 78,000 customers. Uh, the good news is that's starting to climb back. It's gone from 30% down from steady state to 12% down. The last week actually was pretty good. Uh, I think the encouraging thing for Europe, by the way, Europe went down more than the rest of the globe, um, but it's starting to come back quickly. In Europe in particular, what we're seeing is some nice momentum around the markets that are opening up, like Germany, Italy, and Spain are starting to open up. 
And you can see it in our data, this nice acceleration. So week over week, Germany was up 14%. Italy was up 23%. Spain was up 35%. They're not back up to steady state. But we're definitely seeing that uh, things are starting to, uh, yeah, things are starting to grow again. It's interesting what's going on. Mm. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. The um, That low you described in Europe dipped to about 35% down off what would yeah. have been the, the, the pre-COVID uh, deal creation run rates that's halved in the meantime. So it's in the mid to late teens in terms of the how much off the pace it is. So it is definitely improving. It's improved a bunch in the last number of weeks as people start to see beyond the current horizon, what might be over the next horizon or two, and they're, they're planning ahead and thinking a little bit ahead. I think what's also interesting in, in the data is the the amount of visitors and online traffic is enormous. So we've seen huge growth and all our customers have seen massive growth there too. And you, you touched on that. The I think it's going to be interesting for the marketers and sales folks on this call that the a, a lot of that traffic is probably traffic that might not have been traffic would have come to them in the first place. And so far as those folks are pivoting online, looking for solves and solutions, options, uh, will take a little bit more nurturing, a little bit more educated, more awareness, and to understand their situation, the options that some of the, the service providers and customers can offer to them. So there's um, a big surge that won't all materialize into business immediately, uh, but it's a really interesting opportunity for folks to nurture that demand and offer helpful advice. And to your point, depending on the business they have, is offer um, simple products or simple offerings to folks to get started and start to navigate out of the path. But it's it's certainly picking up and certainly trending in the right direction, which is, is can only be good news. The other thing I noticed about the data, Christian, was different industries seem to be recovering at different rates and not surprisingly travel and hospitality. They were down like 60% each and they haven't recovered. They're still stuck down, as you might imagine. Some other industries, um, they're starting to recover, like manufacturing, consumer goods, construction are back to normal. Software is a little off, but um, some industries have bounced back uh, and been more resilient uh, than I would have even expected. So that data, I think, is really interesting. And there's, we can provide a link in the notes later, but or you can just Google benchmark data from HubSpot. It's fascinating you can drill down and see what's going on and then compare your company to what's happening uh you know in your market writ large in your vertical yeah absolutely um so in terms of advice brian as um and i appreciate the audience is a diverse audience from a bunch of different industries uh, org sizes and company size and so on but maybe uh, in a relatively high level sense uh, any advice you can start to give about companies navigating these, these difficult times? Yeah, I think folks need to really embrace online, online versus offline marketing, um, inside sales versus outside sales, inbound marketing versus outbound marketing. I think folks have to create entirely digitized and, and customer experience. I think that made sense even pre-COVID. I mean, COVID just speeds it up. It just kind of moved the future in in terms of that stuff. So. You know, it's kind of the stuff we've been, you know, pounded on tables on for 14 years. I think folks have to go all in on this on this type of marketing and selling and servicing and digital experiences. Whatever buzzword that people are using these days or you're using inside your company, you got to triple down on it. Yeah, yeah. And I know you and I, we've, we've talked at, at times about 
some just really interesting examples. We see it in, in our own customer base. We've um, uh, that might be traditionally physical activities, amenities. We, we think about some of the fitness studios, some of these folks who you don't go there any longer. It's all online, right? And you, you do a this really tailored online class and the, the idea of uh, shipping the coffee to your house now, maybe you, you do it yourself to ship the equipment and the coffee to you and they maybe do an online tutorial how to, how to make great coffee at home and it's just pivoting the business from the physical to the virtual and people are getting really creative at, at doing that as, as needed, right? Yeah. Necessity is modern invention that's really going on right now and gosh, it is a brutal time and you have to take aggressive measures. And I think one of the aggressive measures you got to do is really digitize everything. Um, that's totally self-serving. Of course, I'm going to say that, but it's, you know, I would tell that to my brother-in-law as well as all of you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think one thing I've, I've seen as well in a little of what we see with our, our customers, our partners, and, and what we've um, looked to do ourselves is just leaning into that empathy piece because there is a requirement, I think, to empathize with your, your market, your audience, your customers, um, see how you can help and lead with that helpful empathy. Um, and I think people will respond in terms of you're here to help, you're here in these difficult moments. Um, there will be a commercial conversation somewhere along the way that will be appropriate at the right time. But I think we, uh, we've seen, again, customers and partners and ourselves leading with empathy has been okay, the, the correct way. I think it's been the right thing to do. So um, maybe to move away from the, the crisis um, and take a, a sideways segue um, to, to talk about your uh, your recent breakup, uh, love <laughs> of the funnel, your ah. love of funnel. Tell me more. Yes, let's let's do a chop chop. All right. <laughs> so ye old funnel. Can you see my drawing? Yep, can do. You know, I've been drawing funnels on chalkboards and whiteboards for 30 years. You got marketing, you got sales, and then magically a customer kind of plops out the bottom. Now, I love this metaphor. I loved it, but it just doesn't work anymore. It's not working for me. It doesn't give any credit to your customer. So, you know, word of like when I talk to a HubSpot customer, many of you on the on the Zoom today say, well, why did you buy HubSpot? And of course you can say, oh, we liked your content marketing and we liked your your thought leadership and we tried your software and your sales rep was good. But typically the number one reason someone buys HubSpot is they used it in their previous company or their friend used it and was delighted by it. Like marketing and sales are good channels. Our best channel in yours is customers, and that's become an even better channel over time because there's so much information out there on the internet for potential customers to consume from existing customers. Like for us, this is a site called g2.com. You're not sure about HubSpot, you don't take our word for it, go to g2.com and check it out. There's good reviews on there and bad reviews. You can see the whole gamut. So I don't like this metaphor anymore. I like a metaphor that Two of my favorite philosophers used, and they're from a couple of really smart people. Jeff Bezos uses this idea of a flywheel, and Jim Collins, the author of Good to Great, uses the idea of a flywheel. The flywheel spins like this. You got visitors, you got leads, you got customers, you got delighted customers. 
The more delighted customers you have, the faster that flywheel will spin. So inside of HubSpot, we try to measure visitors, leads, customers, and delighted customers. And the more delighted customers we have, the more visitors, leads, and customers we have. This thing really gets spinning in a strong way. Well, I don't like this old metaphor. I like this new metaphor a lot. This gives credit to your customers as a channel. This also, Christian, the other thing I like about the flywheel is it gives credit for low friction. I think we live in a, in a world where we're going from very human-centric, heavy friction-based marketing and selling and servicing models to where your customers and prospects don't necessarily want to talk to a human all the time. They're used to self-service. They're used to finding information on their own. They really need to talk to somebody, then they will. I like the idea of how do you lower that coefficient of friction in your flywheel and get it to spin very, very fast. If you look at the companies that are really doing well in my industry and most industries, they're industries that are really, they're really enabling people to self-serve. They're really enabling word of mouth. They're really enabling a low friction, high velocity flywheel that builds upon itself. So I, I like this as a new way to think about growing your business as opposed to, I think of it as the old funnel. Alrighty, so goodbye oh, funnel. By the way, by the way I've, I've had this house for about 10 years, a little house is on Cape Cod, tiny little house. And it had a, it's had a chalkboard. This is the first time I've ever used it. <laughs> <laughs> We're honored. Uh, th thank you for breaking in the blackboard for us. Chalkboard. <laughs> Good. Um, so maybe you've opened up a, a whole sphere here. We can unpack a little, Brian, if that's okay. Let's, let's talk a little bit then about the first part of your flywheel. So how do we market? Maybe some things folks to take from that as to uh, what you, you like about how we market today. Sure. I just want to get back to the flywheel for a second. Sure. Uh, I've said this before, but like in my diet, I'm trying to move down the food chain from, you know, like I think of my day, I wake up, I have an egg, I have coffee with milk. Uh, at lunchtime, I'll have a you know, salad with a bunch of chicken on it. For dinner, I may have a piece of meat with potatoes or whatever. There's just a lot of, I'm way up the food chain where I'm eating a lot of animal products. I'm trying to do a slide down that food chain in terms of what I'm eating for health reasons. I want to be on a more plant-based diet and environmental reasons. Uh, I'm not always great at it, but I'm trying to get businesses need to move down the friction uh, food chain. And so I think of companies, you have companies that are all human-based interactions. Maybe they have a website, pretty much every touch of the customer is human-based all the way to businesses that are completely computer-based interactions, like Google, for example. And then in between, you've got sort of humans assisted by computers, and then over here, you got computers assisted by humans. I would just encourage people, wherever you are on there, try to move your way down that, that chain. If you move your way down that chain, it's a more profitable way to do business. It also really does match the way people want to buy today. So I would encourage that when you think about friction and lowering friction in your own flywheels. Really cool. Yeah, yeah, got it. And, and I think, yeah, to that point, people tend to put a lot of effort into creating speed and putting energy into the flywheel and, and more conscious thoughtfulness about removing friction will make it easier for that, the return on that energy being put in. That makes a ton of sense. Yeah, got it. Great, thank you. Um, so let me um, go back into the, the question a moment ago, if you don't mind. Um, how we market, uh, maybe how we're marketing now with the, in the context of what you just said. Yeah, 
Okay, I'll go on a bit of a rant. I kind of think of marketing, HubSpot's marketing is the three C's of marketing. The first C, content marketing. And this is kind of ye old inbound marketing that we've been talking about for 14 years. And ye old inbound marketing is working better now than it ever has. And I think COVID has accelerated. So if you look across all of our 78,000 customers, website visits are up about 25%. Uh, since COVID. So that very, very beginning of the flywheel, people are doing far more website visiting their home a lot more, surfing a lot more. So that's changed a lot. We've been at it as HubSpot as a company for a long time. So we get, you know, about 10 million visitors a month just from Google organic and just from spreading on social and not even ads. So content marketing works better than ever. Educating your potential customers versus interrupting them works really well. Um, I got a quote I wrote down for this call. Uh, I really like this guy, Guy Kawasaki. Guy Kawasaki, many of you may know, was like, he was the evangelist at Apple, the team with Steve Jobs back in the day. And he's a very thoughtful fellow. And he said, if you got more money than brains, use outbound marketing. If you got more brains than money, use content marketing or inbound marketing. And I think that's more true now than it's ever been. Um, so I would encourage people, if you're not leaning into it, it's an investment, it's a different mindset, uh, but you got to really get good at creating content. And it doesn't matter what kind of content, you can create blog content, create an awesome podcast in your, in your vertical, you can create a weekly video uh, piece, any kind of content would be really good yeah, as long as the quality is high and just start cranking that out and it will pull people in. It, it, it does double duty. It pulls people in. It also is just engaging people as they're interested. So maybe somebody visits HubSpot.com for the first time because they Google marketing automation, I don't know. They land on our landing page to look at stuff. But then maybe they're searching on something completely different a week later, bam, they're back on HubSpot.com. It's just like everywhere they look, they're tripping over HubSpot. You want that to be the case in your industry. Dominate that search, the, the search. And, uh, you know, match the way you go to market with the way people actually want to buy this stuff. People don't want to buy today with a cold call. People don't want to buy um, with like obnoxious ads. They really want you to match your go-to-market with the way people, with the way they want to buy stuff. And it's changing. The second thing we're doing is code marketing. So I think it was content marketing. We create all this content, pulls people in, engages people, really good mojo and Google from that. Scales really well. Like if we, if, if we would never do this, but if we let our, all of our content creators go for a quarter, let's say, we would still get all that traffic. It's all that content. It's We don't rent space from someone else. That's a permanent asset on our marketing balance sheet. It continues to pull people in and leverage over time. So it's really leverageable. The second, I think about five is code marketing. And so, and this is, we're in the software industry, it's applicable in almost any industry these days. People wanna try stuff before they buy it. Um, and so the challenge for us is how do we make our marketing and sales and service software CRM offering so easy that they can go and try it without, you know, a lot of training and whatnot, get in there and learn it and start to use it. And then as they grow, they'll upgrade some more uh, compelling offerings. So we have hundreds of thousands of users on a free version and a big channel by which we grow our businesses that go from free to starter to pro to enterprise. We try to match our, our pricing with that. So that's gone really well. The third C is conversational marketing. Uh, this one is really popped during COVID. So if we look at the amount of 
conversations going on the websites across all 78,000 of our customers, that's up over 20% from pre-COVID. So COVID has been a, you know, it's been really bent the curve in terms of people's interest and ability to chat on the site. I think fundamentally humans, all of us, we're lazy. We're just lazy. We're a lazy species. Uh, and and I don't think people as much want to go to a website and navigate around to all your different pages and even go to the search bar and get crappy results. They just want to go to the page and search. So they'll go maybe look on the home page. More and more we're seeing people, I, you know, I don't want to navigate your, your thousand page set. I'm just going to ask the question I have. And you can build a relatively simple bot to answer a lot of those questions or you can man that with uh, or woman that with uh, with humans who can engage with them and that's really gone up so those three plays for us on the marketing side are all working incredibly well for us and have scaled for us um you know we're 800 million in revenue the content marketing thing we've been doing since day one worked incredibly well and scaled nicely. The code marketing thing, we started around 100 million in revenue, that scaled nicely. The conversational marketing, we probably started around 300 million in revenue. All three of those things work and scale really nicely with from startup to big company. Got it, very good, Th thanks for that. Um, if you'll forgive a clunky segue, um, given you've uh, outlined your three Cs, maybe I'll ask you about one other C. Um, that, that folks in this call uh, will be aware of. Um, CMS Hub, we've had yeah. some news recently. We've, uh, we've launched CMS uh, Enterprise. Maybe tell us what customers can expect uh, from a CMS perspective. Yeah, we've been in the content management system business for 14 years, but it's been a small and very small investment for us. And about a year and a half ago, we started to talk to our customers and partners about it, and they were like, you know what? It may be a small investment, but this thing is really good and has huge potential. And the value of connecting your CMS with the marketing and CRM software really opens up tremendous uh, capabilities to create an awesome experience for our customers. And so about a year ago, we decided to make a big investment in it, poured a lot of R&D resources in it. And we took this kind of add-on product, we made it a full hub, and we have CMS Hub Professional, CMS Hub Enterprise, and it is a fantastic offering. I'm absolutely delighted by it. The product is selling exceptionally well. Um, we're doing really well with it. I think the content management system industry is a, it's an interesting one. It's kind of a stubborn one. It's dominated by open source vendors. And there's so many benefits to open source. Of course, there's huge community around that, all these open source projects, and, and they continue to advance. But there are downsides to it. Making big architectural shifts are hard. Gaining consensus among the community on how to keep that user interface easy and not have feature bloat is hard. Um, it's just a hard thing. Most of those client of those open source projects, they're client server software under the covers. They're pretty old. Somebody's got a server somewhere, whether that's your IT department or you're hiring a hosting provider and you've got a single tenant um, system behind the scenes. Then you've, in order to build it, you've got to deal with all these templates and all these plugins. The plugins, they're run by lots of small companies and you need like 50 of them to have a legitimate website out there. And those plugins will rev and you have to stay up with the revisions of those. And that's pretty hard. If you don't stay up with the revisions of those, man, there could be a security flaw. Wham, your whole website is down. And so, 
I just think it's time for that industry to grow up and become legitimately SaaS um, and get all those benefits of a SaaS software and have all that user interface be like really easy to use, but super powerful, very opinionated, more like Apple than an open source project. And that's kind of what we're up to. The value of it is, it's not just about putting up a website anymore. You know, you really want to create a customer experience and match that website with your database and do really powerful stuff. And your website should have application-like functionality as part of it. And so I think one of the things we've done with this new CMS stuff is blend that kind of classic HubSpot ease of use with some serious power for a developer, for an IT person, for a marketer to really get after it. So if you haven't checked it out, have a look. I mean, CMS is a funny thing. You may be super happy with your website and you're never going to redesign it. It just kind of sits there. But I think a modern website should be a living, breathing, changing thing. And uh, I think we've got a really good offering out there. Um, so if you're using, if you're an existing HubSpot customer, have a look. Great. Thank you, Brian. Um, we've tackled the first part of the slide. We'll, I'll maybe relatively quickly move through the other two, if that's okay, and talk a little bit. Uh, get your thoughts on Flywheel sales. Yeah. Okay, during COVID, it's been interesting what's going on with sales. Um, the amount of cold sales emails is way up. It's up 60% over sort of steady state pre-COVID, but the open rates are way, way, way down. And so I think ye old cold call and cold email, cold, so cold email just, I think is dead. And I think COVID's like the, the, the nail in the coffin. Cold calling is off, you know? And I think the reason it's off is no one's sitting at their desk with their phone on answering the, the phone. And I think of my career, like one of my first, my first job out of college, I was a DDR, an inside sales rep. And my boss would say, hey, you get a cold call and give me a listen, I would cold call. It, by the way, really hard job, super frustrating. But back in the early 90s, it kind of worked. People had phones on their desk. You could call the operator. They would connect you to them. You could leave a voicemail. Like, it kind of worked. I think a year from now, when we're out of COVID, most people aren't going to be sitting at their desk. You know, they're going to be using Zoom for most of their conversations, not their phone. And so I think ye old cold call is dying too. So I think sales has to, I think, one, marketing has to step up and do more of the uh, of the convincing and trust building. But I think sales needs to change. I think the sales profile needs to change. If the profile back in the early 90s was, well, we want a hard charging, really aggressive, really motivated person who doesn't get frustrated by getting no's a lot of the time, to, gosh, someone who's smart and someone who's empathetic and someone who understands and listens more than they talk. Uh, that's the new profile. I think the sales rep profile in the industry is going to go through a really cool transformation over the next couple of years. And I think COVID is going to accelerate. So I'm, I'm excited about what's going on in sales. Sales is going to go through changes now that are similar to what marketing has been going through the last 14 years, let's call it. I think this big shifts of what the, the old playbook just isn't going to work. There's no way it's going to work in the and maybe to complete the, the cycle then on the service side of things, sure. you're, you're seeing or thinking on the flywheel service side of things. Yeah, I look around and I see the best companies, 
that really the only way to scale your business is word of mouth now like underneath all the good marketing and selling you're doing it's word of mouth and nothing slows down word of mouth nothing slows nothing adds more friction in the in, the, in your flywheel than someone gets a bad service experience and it happens incredibly often and the root of the service experience isn't so much that people don't invest in people to serve I think they don't invest in the right system to serve so that when that conversation happens, that service person has the context of what's been going on with the problem with that potential customer and connect the dots all the way through for them. And then if they don't solve the problem, the customer calls back, that other service person has all that context. So I almost think the service persona, the person doing servicing today, I don't think that persona is going to change that much like sales. But gosh, if you want to do servicing well, you need like a real CRM back end and you need to connect sales to services and you need to have a persistent record that lives and breathes of what that prospect and that user and that customer is doing. That's the way you create a delightful experience. And if you talk to, if you talk to all the experience disruptors out there, they're doing really cool stuff on the consumer side. Um, they're good at CRM. They're good at customer records. They're good at segmentation. They're good at, uh, you know, enabling their, they're good at enabling their customers to self-serve and they're good at enabling their employees to have a highly contextual conversation when that customer can't self-serve. That's kind of how we think about it. So we've, we've touched on the, uh, maybe the traditional or obvious pillars, the marketing, sales and service. I know there's another component here that I know you're passionate about and it's often underrepresented and overlooked is the role of operations. Yes. Yeah. How do you think about that? Okay. When we, uh, Christian, when we first started HubSpot 14 years ago, marketing was changing a lot. Um, you know, prior to that, marketing was doing, you know, brochures and trade shows and PR, uh, stuff like that. And, I, and like consumers were changing the way they were buying and they were spending, they were spending less time you know, consuming that type of stuff. And, and their expectation was they could find the answer in Google, that they could find the answer on your website. So marketing got more important, a lot more important back then. And what we noticed is the profile of that marketer had changed and become more sophisticated and had a whole bunch of new skills. Um, and we also noticed that the, the first marketing hire in a company happened earlier, whereas maybe they were, your first dedicated marketer happened at 40 or 50 employees, now it's happening. You know, by the time you had 10 employees, you had a dedicated marketer. Operations going through this uh, kind of a similar shift today where, you know, ops people inside of companies, um, they're not necessarily well equipped with the tools they need to be successful. They're not necessarily having a seat at the table where they need a seat. Um, and they're getting more important. They have, like the leverage inside a company seems to be with these operations people. The profile of these operations people seems to be changing. They're very sophisticated, smart people. They're early adopters of technology. Um, they want to be in front, not behind. So I think the whole operations ops industry is going to explode in the next five years. And marketing ops in particular is going to explode. And there needs to be a whole new tool set for these people. Um, there needs to be, you know, we need to embrace them as an industry. The HubSpot's embracing them. We need to create content for them. We need to train them. We need to help them along in developing their career because they are the key to taking your, you know, 20 person company and turning it into a 2000 person company. 
When we were 20 people, our best sales rep was the most important person in the company. When you're 200 people, you know, and you've got 30, 40 sales reps, that ops person unlocks all those sales reps to be much, much more productive. So there's a big shift going on there that I, I like a lot. And we're also seeing that ops person, it used to be your, you'd have, you hire your first full-time ops person, typically in sales ops around 30, 40, 50 employees for first full-time job. Now it's showing up very early, like at 10 employees, you've got your first ops person hired. Uh, and so this is gonna be something to keep your eye on. If I had career advice for people, if you're kind of an ops person, lean into it, call yourself an ops person. If you're a marketing ops person, shift your mindset to be a revenue ops person and look at that entire journey the customer goes through with your product and with your company and try to build the systems and the operation that enables you to really scale it. If your sales operations, same thing, move into revenue operations. That's something that should be centralized across your whole company, not just in sales and marketing and service. It shouldn't be separate silos. It should be together. So I'm super excited about that persona. If, if I were early in my career, I think I would be in, I would try to be a revenue operations person. Thank you, Brian. Thanks for that. We're, um, we're coming up towards end of session, Brian, and I want to maybe, um, given this is a, a slightly unusual uh, virtual hug, we, we've done these many of them and you've done many more than me in person and you've, you've loved attending them. We pivoted this one into being virtual, given everything that's going on. Um, I'd love to just get your thoughts on another event um, that folks are very familiar with, Inbound, and how you think about Inbound this year. Yes. Um, we can't do Inbound live, no way. Uh, people are flying in from all over the world. They're in close quarters. No way. Uh, so we're not going to have a live event. Um, we're going to have, I don't even want to call it a virtual event. I want to call it an immersive experience. Um, I think it's going to be really cool. We're going to move the date to September 22 and 23. The thing I like about inbound and when we get the net promoter score feedback from our attendees, they like the content, like we always have good keynotes and Michelle Obama and different interesting people that present. Uh, but they really get the value by meeting uh, like-minded people that have similar jobs or going through similar problems and creating connections and learning from each other. I think what a lot of businesses miss when they move their you know, in-person event to an online event is that connection. And so I think it's going to be really cool. I've been involved in some of the planning of it. It's not just going to be sitting there in front of Zoom consuming information. We're going to try to make it very immersive. We're going to try to make it very collaborative and highly engaging. And we want to kind of rewrite the rules and how to do one of these online experiences. And so stay tuned for that. Go to inbound.com if you're interested in coming. You already bought a ticket. You'll get an email with what to do. Um, and we'll take care of you on that. But uh, I hope you all go. I think it's going to be really cool. I'm already working on our, our mesh and mice presentation. We'll have some good stuff for y'all at that. Great. And I think to your point, this might even be an interesting opportunity for folks who, for one reason or other, maybe find it difficult to take the time to physically go. Uh, this is a, a new and different opportunity to experience inbound in a, in a different way. So, yeah, I hope folks in Europe embrace it. We'll, we'll see. Yeah, thank you for that. Um, so we're, we're just coming up, as I said, on time, Brian. Um, before we close, just an offer of any uh, any final words of wisdom for, for the folks who have uh, dialed in to listen today? 
Well, I kind of like I'm sitting here. I can show you where I'm sitting. I've got a great little spot here on a pond on Cape Cod. Can you see it? Mm -hmm. Yep. It's a terrific yep. little spot, little spot. The thing about this spot is we get hurricanes here, and they 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 really rip really rip through here pretty good. And I kind of think of this as a as a hurricane, the, the COVID, where you, you it it showed up on the radar and all of a sudden it was on us, you know, really on us. And it's been trying. I mean, you know, forget about business. Like so many lost lives and family members and whatnot. It's been brutal. Um, I will say, I the thing about this hurricane, it'll pass. I don't know if it's. I don't know when it'll pass, but eventually it will pass. We'll get uh, treatment eventually. We'll get a vaccine eventually. We'll get back to some sort of a new normal eventually. And uh, it's been a brutal two months for me, for, for so many people on this. And I feel like we're making progress on it. I feel like the world is pretty resilient. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of governments in general, the U.S. government. I feel like central banks and governments have acted real, you know have done some good things uh, particularly the federal uh, the uh, fed in the united states and the central banks in europe to avoid an absolute economic catastrophe i feel like there's been some heroic work for medical workers and i feel like humankind is resilient i suspect a lot of you are resilient and if you're patient and you think about the future I think it'll be all right. I think we'll all get through this. I remember the last one of these I did with Europe was uh, a week into it, and things were just over the grum, uh, grim. And I'm personally feeling a little better. I'm looking at the data, and uh, it's going to take a while, but I think we'll get through this. And I wish resilience for all of you and all your companies. Great. Yep. Thanks, uh, Brian. I know, I know um, I'll, I'll use some of your own words back to you if you don't mind, but. Um, you spoke previously about um, being fiercely optimistic about when we're customer centric and staying close to customer, uh, staying close to your partners, the quality of that relationship uh, will see people through difficult times such as these. So uh, stay the course in terms of being customer centric, being close to your customers, stay close to your partners. Uh, this is the time to, to do that and, and do it well. It will, you'll endeavor and you'll, you'll get through this exercise through this time uh, by doing Many of those pillar behaviors and things that got us to where we are uh, continue doing those things so great stuff super brian thank you so much indeed uh thank you for uh for all of your insights and thoughts uh, thank you for christening the chalkboard today with us uh, a special moment for everybody including your your chalkboard super thank you uh, and a huge thank you to, to include and all the team in, in white hat and for folks for for uh, hosting us today and um, most importantly for everybody attending we're taking time schedules to come along and listen and attend today thrilled to have an opportunity to speak to everybody today thanks thanks everybody we'll see you all again soon take care thank you